Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. Good morning again. Welcome to the Grove. We're glad you guys are here. If we haven't met, my name's Christian. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're continuing this series called He Shall Be Named. I want to show you, uh, this, is, uh, this is not circa 1985, but uh, in 1985, one of my favorite Christmas gifts of all time, I received it uh, that, that Christmas. And some of you heard this story. I'll give you a little, some other snippets from the story. But 1985, I come out, I'm seven years old. Walk out, Christmas tree, all decorated, looks beautiful, and there next to the tree is this gigantic styrofoam glider, okay? It was not red. It was white. It was, again, twice, two or three times the size of this one, uh, and it was not this, like, cool, super poly foam. It was just, like, packing peanut foam, okay? Um, but I was stoked. I was so excited to get that, and so we, we spent the whole morning um, just, you know, doing the festivities of Christmas Day. And then that afternoon, we, we piled in with the, the glider, you know, had it, you had to break it down, have it in some different pieces. But we, we took it, put it in the car, drove out to a construction site where they had dug a big hole. It wasn't like a deep hole. It was just a hole where they hadn't started building yet. And so we can kind of get down in there and there's a lot of room to, to run. Now, on second thought at the time, we're in Southern California. There's lots of really beautiful parks. There'd probably be grassy areas. They're a little softer, not a construction site with kind of rocky soil, um, which factors into what happens next. I rear back with my brand new glider, so excited. And I throw it as hard as I possibly can. And I'm thrilled because it makes this giant loop and it's just heading up. And just so you know, like I loved flight. I, we lived at the time on a Marine base. There were like the Blue Angels flying over our heads all the time, like jets everywhere. So I loved airplanes. And I'm like, oh, look at my big styrofoam glider doing its thing. It's making the big loop. It comes around. And then we realize, or I begin to realize, I don't think it's going to make it. And sure enough, it goes and it just hits the ground. Now, initially, I had some, a little bit of hope, but my first thought was something along the lines of, that's not good, right? I, I, didn't, I don't think I used those words at the time, but it was, that was my thinking. It's something like, that's probably not good. And so I go running out to find the glider, and sure enough, it was not good. In fact, it wasn't just not good, it was broken. It was, it was busted. It was in multiple pieces, and uh, I was disappointed. We tried, we brought it home, tried to kind of tape it up, figure out, is there some way to salvage this thing? And there was just no dice. You try to fly it, it's just breaking as you go. It was, it was done. I got one throw out of that glider. And again, I loved it. I was so grateful for it. Um, but one throw and we were done. It was really, uh, it was devastating in many ways. And, um, you know, I've since learned that you can magically meld styrofoam back together. Okay, so just, just for the sake of any, if you happen to, I don't know, like it took me a while to track this thing down. You can order everything on Amazon, but it didn't get here in time. So trying to find a spot where you can go buy a styrofoam glider is not as easy as it once was. Um, but if you're ever in a bind where you're needing to put back together a broken glider, or you happen to be in like Hollywood uh, prop making and need to do something with styrofoam, here's how you 
fit styrofoam back together. You use a couple dowel rods, you get some of that canned foam, and you use that as adhesive, and you can make it as good as new, evidently, okay? I only know that because now we have YouTube where you can find out everything you ever needed to know. Um, but I did wonder. I was like, what, what would this have been like had it broken in 2023 and not 1985? Now you know. I tell you that whole thing because, you know, I, I think when we look out on our lives and you think about just there's a lot of possibilities, right? We, we know that, that we've been given certain capabilities. There's things that you really love, things you enjoy, opportunities that are put before you. You can get really excited by what those things mean and what will be possible as a result of those things. And then reality hits. Right? Different things happen. What, give it one reason or another. You begin to realize, you know what? Things aren't just bad. They're actually broken. Right? I mean, that, that's the thing that we, we come, you live long enough, you start to realize things aren't just bad. They're broken, right? It wasn't good that my, my glider didn't make that loop. But the, the thing that was most important was that it was broken. It wasn't going to be the same anymore. And the same is true of our experience in life. Like, things aren't just bad. We have to come to recognize. It's not just, well, if my circumstances could just be a little bit better, I'd be great. If only this one thing would happen, then everything would be fine. No, you, you often get the thing. You think you was going to solve everything, and then you discover, wait, it's still not all that I thought it would be. In fact, some of you, that may even be your impression of Christianity or impression of knowing and walking with Jesus is, yeah, that's great, but it's really not going to solve all the problems. You don't know all the problems that I have, and so you need to talk to me about this, but it, it's just, it's not going to accomplish all the things that I really need it to. And so I speak to you to say, I hope you'll consider things afresh. I understand that kind of frustration or, or that, that thought. But I do think it's important for us to recognize that things aren't just bad. They really are broken. And last week, we kicked off this series. We were looking back at an incredibly difficult time in the life of God's people. We talked about uh, Judah, the southern part of the, the kingdom of Israel. kingdom of Israel had split. You had Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And so here, God's people in Judah, that's where the, the capital city of Jerusalem resides or, or was and is. And for the people of Judah, the threat of invasion was, was imminent. They knew that their northern brothers, Israel, along with a foreign nation, Syria, were on the march. They were going to be coming any day. And in the midst of that, Assyria and this superpower, Assyria, is growing. And so there's threats all around. They know things are not good. Listen to Isaiah's assessment of the situation. Early in his uh, prophecy, his, the book of Isaiah, chapter 3, he says this, Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because they've spoken and acted against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. The look on their faces testifies against them, and like Sodom, they flaunt their sin. They do not conceal it. Woe to them, for they have brought disaster on themselves. See, things are breaking down for Judah because of their own rebellion. It's true that there's things outside. There are these threats outside, the, the things that are, are causing the, the concern and the fear and the, all the things that are going on. But what Isaiah tells them is, look, you've actually brought this upon yourself. Like, those guys are going to be responsible for their own rebellion, for the wicked things that they're doing. But understand, Judah, 
You're going headlong the other direction from what God has told you. And for that, there will be a certain kind of discipline. There will be a judgment. But later, Isaiah explains that the situation in Judah is actually simply a miniature version of what is going on for all of humanity. Isaiah 59, he says this, verse 7, Their feet run after evil, and they rush to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are sinful thoughts. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. They have not known the path of peace. And there is no justice in their ways. They've made their roads crooked. No one who walks on them will know peace. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not reach us. We hope for light, but there's darkness. For brightness, but we live in the night. He goes on in verse 12, he says, For our transgressions have multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. Now, you might ask, I and mean, you should ask, well, how do I know, or how do you know, Christian, that this speaks of, of us? And not just those people, Judah. Like, there's a real thing going on at that time that's real people, real history. Why is that not just about what's happening with them? Why are you saying that has anything to do with me living in 2023? I haven't shed anybody's innocent blood. I'm not, like, what does this have to do with me? Well, here's why I think that's, Isaiah is really talking about all of us for all time. You see, even after the arrival of Jesus, the native situation for humanity is described in the same way. Romans 3, verse 9, the Apostle Paul writes, What then? Are we any better off? Not at all. We've already charged that both Jews and Greeks, so not just the people of Judah, but everybody, Greeks is, is everybody that's not from that area, are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. What Paul's doing here is he's taking actually poetry from the Psalms. Four times he quotes the Psalms. And I've mentioned before, you want to understand the human condition. You want to have words to the things that you experience and, and have words to be able to talk to God about the things you experience. You go to the Psalms. But part of what the Psalms tell us is that just as Paul's told us here, hey, look, a major part of our problems is that we go our own way. And so in this poetic language, he's describing the plight of humanity. But in the midst of four quotes from the Psalms, he quotes from one other source, that's Isaiah. Isaiah 59, verses 7 through 8 that we just read. See, what Isaiah was talking about did have everything to do with the people of Judah at that time but it has everything to do with you and I here and now. Just like the people of Judah 2,700 2, years ago, and just like those subject to the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago, all of us lack peace. And things aren't just bad, they are broken. But it's for this very situation, both for Judah and for all humanity, that the promise of a Messiah 
is given. See, things are broken, and they're broken because of us. And so we can't just you know, try to piece this thing all back together on our own. We need somebody else. We need something else to fix it. And so we have this promise of a Messiah, and it isn't just a generic promise for someone. It's not just, well, you know, somebody will come. No, the scriptures are very specific. There's a very specific promise built in part on the names that we're studying in this series. And so I want you to listen again to that foretold promise of Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, we're told a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his, on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Would you pray with me? Father, we do indeed ask that you would help us to understand the things that we have heard already and the things that we will look at today. God, you are good and kind to give us your word, to speak to us, to to set out to make us your friends, but we confess that without your help, we, we can't make sense of all this. But Lord, these are the words of life, and so I pray that you would Um, speak through me and speak in spite of me. Help us to understand. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want us to see today is we we turn to the next name, and we've gone a little out of order of the names just because of uh, combining with Advent, and and so we're we're hitting some topics in a, a bit of a different order. But perhaps the most important name here is what we'll see today, that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace, who, and what we'll see is he deals with the brokenness. Okay, that, that's what we need to know most of all, is he will deal with the brokenness. But not just does he deal with it generally, but we also need to understand he is the Prince of Peace who helps us when things break down. In our day-to-day lives, as things break down, Jesus is there to help. So how does he deal with the brokenness? Well, he is the Prince of Peace first, whose greatest conquest is conflict. His greatest conquest is conflict. Now, when I say prince, many of you probably think of someone who is handsome, charming, well-dressed, can break out into song at any moment, right? We have kind of this Disney idea of what is a, a prince. But the reality is the prince is the one who is groomed to rule, and if we think about princes in, in real life, that prince, if he's going to rule, he must understand what it will take to maintain his kingdom. And there is a, a martial aspect of that, a, a military aspect of that. That prince is trained to lead the army. If he's a good prince, he knows how to command his men into battle so that the safety and prosperity of the kingdom will continue. And this is the way for most princes that they have to be on constant guard that, that even after they've won one battle, there will be other people coming for their kingdom trying to, to threaten the safety and prosperity of it. And so Jesus is a prince who is a warrior. 
And in the midst of the descriptions of the problems and, and how they've developed in Judah, Isaiah is also given insight into a future that really, if you think about it, we, we could only dream of. I want you to hear it. Isaiah eleven six. he says, The wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion, and the fattened calf will be together, and a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit, and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. This is, this is a picture of a glorious future that God intends to bring about, a future where all the threats are done with. How does that future come about? Well, it's through a Messiah who's described like this, Isaiah 53. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. That was the prophecy. That's what was foretold about this Messiah who would come. But now listen to what Jesus, the Messiah, has done. Ephesians 2, verse 14, he is our peace who made both groups, talking Jews and Gentiles, both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Jesus is the warrior prince who has come to conquer conflict. I want you to see something. It's a commercial, but it tells a true story. It's not, it's not I mean, there's probably a little bit of storytelling in there added to it, but it's telling a true story. I want you to listen to author Eric Geiger's description. He says, the commercial depicts the story of the famous Christmas truce of 1914. The First World War had only begun months before, and the fighting between the Germans and the Allies was very fierce. Hope for a quick war was gone, and the men knew that they would be bitter enemies for years. A system of trenches separated the two sides, and the area in between was regarded as no man's land. On Christmas Eve, 1914, an unofficial truce began. German soldiers began singing Silent Night in German, and men on the other side of the Great Divide joined in English. Men who hours before were attempting to kill one another were now singing together about the wonder of Christ's birth. Take a look. Jenkins. Oakley. Night. Come, oh, 
My name is Jim. My name is Otto. Pleased to meet you, Otto. Freut mich. Rose, she's called. Um, it's schön. Um, it's schön. <laughs> just a moment, those soldiers had what Isaiah alludes to or talks about, and what I think we all long for. There was an end to the fighting, that feeling of safety and the reconciliation of enemies. But eventually, the fighting continued. Jesus has come to make war on Satan, sin, and death. And through his perfect life and his substitutionary death and his glorious resurrection, eternal victory has been assured. It's not a question of if. It's just a question of when. And we live in that reality. Conflict has been conquered. There is a day coming when peace will be all that is known. And that victory that secured that peace is offered to us. So Romans 5.1, we're told, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That reality can be yours. You can be justified. You can be made right with God through the Lord. Understanding he is the prince. He is the sovereign ruler of all things, Jesus and so we can know peace. We can know the end of, of 
of this conflict. You say, well, yeah, I, I've trusted that, but man, I still deal with the conflict. I mean, it seems like there's still things to, to deal with. That's true. We do live in the in-between. We live now knowing that the promise is coming, but it's not been enacted in all of its fullness. But we're told, again, Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. See, in the time between now and then, we have the grace of our Lord Jesus. The gift of his presence and his power working in and through us. As we move forward to the day when we know Satan will be crushed once and for all. See, when a war ends, just because the fighting ceases doesn't mean that things are well. In fact, the aftermath of World War I was that even when it ended, there was such destruction that it sowed the seeds for World War II because things were still not right. The conflict was over, but the brokenness remained. And so what conflict has broken must also be repaired, which is another reason that it is such good news that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He does bring an end to the conflict, but also he is the Prince who provides the missing peace, and the missing peace is for wholeness. See, when things break, parts go missing. It may even be micro parts, but parts go missing. Things are not as they once were. It's almost, it's pretty much never happens where something breaks and everything that you need to put it back together is still there. But in the case of our souls, in the case of our relationships, when things are broken, something goes missing. And that's the reality that we live in. That's this lack of peace. It's not just that there's conflict, but there, there are pieces missing that we need to be repaired. We need those replaced. Shalom, this word for peace in the Old Testament. It means wholeness. It means completeness. And the same word Irene used in the Greek in the New Testament, it's the same idea. It's not just the absence of conflict, it's the presence of what was lacking. Hear how shalom is described in the Psalms. Psalm 4.8, I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, Lord, make me live in peace or safety, shalom. Psalm 35, 27, let those who want my vindication shout for joy and be glad. Let them continually say, the Lord be exalted. He takes pleasure in his servants, shalom, well-being. Psalm 38, 3, there is no soundness in my body because of your indignation. There is no shalom or health in my bones because of my sin. What is shalom? What is this peace? It's safety. It's wholeness of body. It's wholeness of soul and relationships. It's this all-encompassing life that is not just free of conflict, but is made right. It's repaired. And then listen to what Jesus says after his resurrection. Three times John preserves for us these statements. Jesus appears to his disciples after his resurrection. It says Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, peace be with you. A little while later, John again tells us, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I also send you. And then again, a week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them 
and said, peace be with you. He's coming having been resurrected, having been the first fruits of the promise, the promises that have been made for centuries, for, for millennia. He's coming and he's saying, look, things are going to be made right. I'm the first indication of that. And the peace that I have come to bring, I'm now giving to you. Begin to live in the peace that I have won. Begin to live in the wholeness that I have secured for you. You say, well, what does that have to do with being a prince? Well, a prince can mean a warrior. It can mean the ruler, the one who tells us what is good and right. And all those things are true of Jesus. But a prince is also an administrator. An administrator is one who gives, one who gives out, who, who makes sure that people have what they need. And so, again, what Jesus has come to do is to give us peace. Not just end the conflict, but give us what we need that we lack. And this is what he offers to us. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Right? If, if he brought to end an end the conflict, then how much more? Having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? The implication is he's brought an end to the conflict, but his life, his new resurrection life, the wholeness that he has created will then be ours through him. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He ends the conflict. He gives us the missing pieces. And so what does that mean then for our day-to-day? Three things I want you to see. When things break down, Jesus helps us, and he helps us to remember God's promises, first of all. When things break down, remember God's promises. We're told in Isaiah 9-7 that his dominion will be vast. Its prosperity will never end. Isaiah 26-3, especially, I want you to grab a hold of this. He says, you will keep the mind, this is the promise from God, you will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. So we may know in our, in our minds, like, oh yeah, Jesus has brought peace. I should be peaceful. That's what good Christians do. But then the turmoil comes. Things start to break down around us. And, and where our mind goes is to all of the turmoil. We, we start putting our focus on all the things that are going wrong. And we become dependent on our circumstances changing. If only this would happen, if only that would happen, then everything would be okay. But our real, I mean, think about it. Your real experience is things can calm down and yet they're not right. Just because your circumstances change doesn't necessarily mean that you have peace. God intends to give us something that transcends our circumstances. He says, keep your mind on me. Depend on me. When you're looking around at the turmoil, the turmoil may keep going, but you can trust me. I will give you peace. And so he says later in Isaiah 54.10, though the mountains move and the hills shake, my love will not be removed from you. And my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says your compassionate Lord. Do you know that he's compassionate? I mean, do you know that he, he really does love you? Does he have expectations? Yeah. Because he'd be unloving not to. to. To leave us just going whatever way we think is right would be unloving. But he's compassionate. He's come in the midst 
of our sin. He's come in the midst of the rebellion. He's come to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And he says, look, you trust me. My love's not going anywhere. You can't do anything to shake the foundations of God. His covenant of peace, his promises, you can't do anything to change his promises. He's not shaken. He's not quivering. He's not wondering, how's this really going to turn out? I don't know if I can handle this. He's not bothered. And that foundation, that unshakableness of God is poured out in love to you. He wants you to know that. He wants you to live that out and remember that when things are going all kinds of crazy. Remember his promises, the second thing. And, and this is, well, before I get there, even Jesus said that. John 16, says, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I've conquered the world. Jesus knows what you're going to face. He knows that things aren't going to be all that they should be yet. But he says, I've conquered. The day is coming. You can have peace now. Trust me, he says. In me, you can have peace. This is why we memorize scripture, guys. The back of your listening guide, you may see every week we put a memory verse there. That really just started because we had some blank space. We just thought, you know, let's just throw some scripture on there. That's kind of a nice Christian-y thing to do. No, that's not why we put it there. We put it there because it really does make a difference to hide God's word in your heart. To be, you say, I can't memorize anything. Yeah, you can. You know your phone number. You've learned a few things. I'm not saying you've got to go memorize the whole Bible, but, but you can memorize a few key things, promises that will help steel you against the circumstances that come. December may be a great month, a great time. Say, man, can I memorize four verses? Can I just memorize these Sunday verses that Christian puts on the back of this listening guide? Begin to hide God's word in your heart to be able to fight against the thoughts going all over the place. This is what we're told, Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Don't miss this. The peace of God is the peace that God gives, but it is the peace that is God, right? It, it, is, it is his own character. It is his own being. He is whole. He lacks nothing. And he says, I give to you myself. I will be your guard. I will be your, your protector. And I will help you when things are going all over the place. When things break down, remember his promises. Second thing, pursue righteousness. It is really tempting when things are swirling to lash out, to just do whatever you can to flail about to just get the circumstances under control without any regard for what does God really think is good. This is the way we most, most of us learn to live. Just do whatever I can to create a, a temporary peace just to kind of get my bearings. And, you know, there, there's, we can understand that, but God offers us something much more. There's also the temptation when things are going crazy to just cower and freeze. Say, oh, I'll just stay right here and I won't do anything. But God offers us something better. And, and beyond that, you might even think, some of you might think, you know, and I've been here, that doing things God's way is what got you into the mess that you're in. And sometimes you might be right. Sometimes you do the right thing and the result is more chaos in the short term. 
You suffer because you're actually wanting to stand for what God says is right. Jesus promised that's probably what's going to happen a lot of times. But then when that's happening, you, you tend to want to just withdraw. But listen, Isaiah 32, 17, the result of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quiet confidence forever. You want to build confidence in the Lord? Then you just take steps of trusting him. It's scary. It's not what you want at different points. It's frustrating, but you just keep taking steps. And, and that quiet confidence begins to build. The peace of God begins to, to fill your life. And God then begins to use you to bring peace to others. 1 Peter 2 says, you were called to this, right? You all, you all were called to this, people of God, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. God has made you right so that you can live for righteousness. Maybe you say, you know what, I've tried that. And I set out to do what's right, and I, I feel like, man, even when I'm trying to do what's right, I just make it worse. It just gets messed up. Hear the word of the Lord, Proverbs 24, 16. Though a righteous person falls seven times, he will get up, but the wicked will stumble into ruin. See, so he says, the righteous and the wicked, they both stumble. But the wicked, those who, who just want to turn away from the Lord, they just keep stumbling right into ruin. But the righteous, they, they get up, and they'll fall, but they get up. Right? If you mess up, the scripture says, then get up. And then clean up as needed. And then keep up with Jesus. He's patient, right? He's leading us, but he's patient. And by that I mean he matches our pace. He's incredible in that billions of people who've trusted him. And in each case, he doesn't say, look, I'm going to just go wherever. And if you can keep up, great. But if not, sorry. He leads us as we each need. Now, he's not going to let us just wallow in our sin. He calls us out of that, but he leads us forward, and he leads us at a pace to, that, will, that will work for us if you trust him. You say, no, no, I really want to go at this pace. Jesus, he might say, well, let's pick it up. Come on. And encourage you to keep on moving. But he loves you. He's compassionate towards you. He will be patient, and he will help you to continue to get up and keep on moving. Finally, when things break down, practice peacemaking. This is just the ob obvious implication, right? If he's created peace in and through us, for us, then he intends to use us to be peacemakers. Romans 14, 19, let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. And then Colossians 3, 12, therefore as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were all also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. The peace of Jesus is meant to rule us. It's meant to be what we live for, live according to. Church, this is what we do together. You say, yeah, I'll be a peacemaker, but you don't put yourself in enough proximity to other people 
that you have to practice this, we're not doing it. If we just avoid each other and say, yeah, we're peaceful, that's not peacemaking. Jesus intends to make true peace among us, and we have to be close enough to actually have that challenged. And we become better and better at being peacemakers. Imagine if the conflict stopped. Imagine what life would be like if all the conflict stopped inside and outside of you. If we had peace in our relationships, peace in our jobs, peace in our hearts. What if the things that were missing were no longer missing? And what if there was a kind of living that didn't require bracing for the next thing to break? That's the promise that God gives, right? There's the promise that someday the things you care about, the things you most regard will not break down. That promise is given to us through Jesus. Jesus has come to bring all of those things to the forefront and assure us that it is real and it will be real forever. We may endure hardship for a season, but the presence of Jesus now and the moments that we can sense him and that we, that we live for him, they point us to an eternity that will bring us into a place of everything being made complete, everything being made right. We can trust him for that. Let's pray together. Father, indeed thank you for the peace that you have produced, a peace that you've come to make possible and make not just possible but, but real for all eternity. I pray for those who are have yet to know the peace that comes with trusting Jesus, being made new in him. I pray that you would help them to understand just what that is and that we would be able to be a help to them in that. I pray for us as, as those who have claimed the name of Jesus, who have received this new life, that we would live out the life that's been given to us, that we would be peacemakers. God, work in us for your glory and for the good of others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from The Grove Church. Have a great day. Thank you.